Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Thank you. Lori is my favorite person. She's the only person that responded. So we'll try this one more time. Every, doesn't every speaker do this, though, really? You get up there and you say something, no one responds, and you say it again so that everybody can respond to make me feel better. Good morning, everybody. There we go. A little bit better. Okay, uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Kelly Clark, and uh, I've spoken in here a few times before. I'm currently a small group minister with your 11th graders down the hall and work with Brett and a few other guys on this uh, speaking group, and uh, so Brett gives us a couple opportunities throughout the year to speak in here, and uh, so today is my turn to do that, and we are working through the Tell the Story series or emphasis or campaign, whatever you want to call it. So that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. But just a little bit about myself before we kind of dive in. My family, we've been in Georgetown for 15 plus years and have been a member of this church for most of that time, probably 13 to 14 years. I have successfully raised a teenager. And the reason I know that is one, she's now 20 And so we got through the teenage years, and believe me, I know what it's like when your teenager turns into a completely different person, when they, all of a sudden, you had this sweet little elementary kid, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's like they're from another planet. So I get that. I understand what that's like. My daughter did the same thing, and I'm not saying anything to you that I wouldn't say to her because she's sitting in the room this morning. She actually came home to see dad this weekend, so she's sitting right over there, But one of the reasons that I know that we were successful in raising a teenager, other than the fact that she made it through all of her teenage years, is on her birthday just a few weeks ago, she just turned 20, and she said, Dad, you should be really proud of me. I survived teenage pregnancy. (laughs) That's what you want to hear from your daughter on her 20th birthday, right? I didn't even know what to say. I was, okay, uh... Okay, congratulations, Dad. We're Kendrick. Who, I don't know who gets the congratulations there, me or her. I don't know. But anyway, so she survived teenage pregnancy, second generation to do that in our family. I survived teenage pregnancy. All of my siblings did. My mom, however, did not because she got married at 17 and I was born when she was 18. My grandmother did not survive teenage pregnancy because she got married young and had started having children right away, right after high school. So we're second generation surviving teenage pregnancy in our family. So we're, we're, we're working on that. As part of the whole tell the story emphasis, I want to start today with just kind of telling you a little bit about my faith story. I was born in Dallas, and we spent most of my elementary and junior high years in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And around the time that I was going into fifth grade, the summer before fifth grade, we moved to North Dallas. And I can't remember a lot of the details, but I remember it being, I remember the house we were living in. And I can't remember if it was summer or the weekend, but I remember being at home during the day and my mom was there. And you guys probably either remember this or maybe you had one in your household, but everybody used to have these big giant family Bibles, right? They were about six inches thick, weighed about 45 pounds, and you never read them. You, sometimes you looked at the pictures or you used them as a weapon if anyone broke into your house, right? Because they weighed so much you could just really plow into somebody. Well, so we had one of these family Bibles on our living room table. I was at that age where I was beginning to really understand the difference between right and wrong. And I don't know that I would call wrong sin. I don't know that I made that connection yet. But I, I was beginning to understand what was right, what was wrong. And 
saw the Bible on the living room table that day and started asking my mom some questions about the Bible and God and church and all that. And so we got that big Bible out and we started kind of working through it from the beginning. And every time we came to a picture, she would kind of explain, this is Adam and Eve. And the reason sin is in the world is because Adam and Eve uh, disobeyed God and took a bite of the apple. And that caused the separation between us and God and, you know, Noah and Abraham and all the way through the Old Testament and Jonah and the whale. And, you know, those Bibles had some really cool pictures in them. You know, they were the illustration or when, the, when you draw something, uh, you can tell I'm artistic because I don't even know how to, what word to use there. So we're going through all these pictures. We finally get to the New Testament, and then I, I, I really become gripped by the pictures of Jesus and him talking to his disciples and then the picture with him with the, the crown of thorns and him hanging on the cross and the scene from the grave with the stone rolled away. And my mom began to explain what it meant to, to have a relationship with Jesus and how we overcome sin and death that entered the world back when Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God, and, and that caused the separation between us and God, and that through his only son, Jesus, provided a way for us to, reconciled wasn't the word she used because I was in fifth grade, but it was, a, it was a way for us to reunite or reconnect with God and overcome sin and death in our life so that we could forever live with God uh, in eternity and in heaven. And I remember even at, at 10 or 11 years old, however old I was in fifth grade, that just feeling this weight of, I needed to do something about this. What, what does all this mean for me? And my mom explained what it meant to invite Jesus into your heart or to, to ask Jesus to be the Savior of your life. And, and then we just kind of, we put the Bible down. She went into the kitchen to make lunch or dinner or whatever, and I couldn't get out from underneath the weight of that. And so I actually walked back to my bedroom on my own, got down on my knees, and prayed some kind of prayer. I don't even know exactly. Again, some of the details are fuzzy. I don't know exactly what I prayed, but I prayed some sort of prayer about, God, forgive me of my sin. I know I'm only 10, but I know that I've done, I've done things that were wrong, and that's called sin, and that is separating me from you, and I don't want that. I want you to be a part of my life, and I want you to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. And something happened in that moment that, that allowed me, even now at, at a, as 49 years old, I, I, there was a stake put in the ground. And because all through high school, I, I really wrestled with doubt and did I really get saved and what does that mean? And, and I really wrestled with that through my teenage years because I came from another planet, right, like all teenagers do. But when I, when I prayed that day, something happened in my heart. The only way I can explain it to you, it, it, I would say it was like a tingling but you know how when you're on a roller coaster and you go over the big hill and you, your stomach kind of, you kind of get that feeling of losing your stomach or whatever? That's kind of how I felt, but it was, it was in my heart. I mean, I literally could feel this sensation in, inside of my body. And I, I believe years later that God did that because he knew I was going to suffer with doubt and that I was going to wrestle with doubt through my teenage years. And it allowed me to always go back to that moment and I could always remember that tingling sensation, and I believe that's when the Holy Spirit came into my body and came into my life and took residence in my heart. And so I share that with you because part of what we're going to be talking about today is, is you know, sharing your story, what, God, what your life was like before Jesus and what your life was like after Jesus came into your life. And I, I can tell you that through the years, you know, I was baptized a few years later. We moved to East Texas uh, right around the eighth grade, and I got baptized then. My parents weren't really involved in church until, we, until I was in eighth grade. 
And since the, about the eighth grade, with the exception of a few years in college, I've been involved in church or ministry in some form or fashion my whole life since the eighth grade. God has really blessed my life and the things that he's done since I've been saved, especially in my adult years, in a lot of ways have been miraculous. You know, my wife and I uh, celebrated 22 years of marriage this past summer. And if you have been married any length of time, you know that once you kind of get to 10, 15, 20, that, sometimes that is miraculous. You know, if you can get past one, you know, that's miraculous. If you can get past five or seven, you know, there seems to be a magic number in there where maybe it doesn't get easier, but you just kind of start to accept some things and you start to understand compromise and sacrifice and all that. And so to say that it's, it was a miraculous that we're still married after 22 years, in a lot of ways, looking back, especially in the early years, uh, I would say that, yeah, we've, we've, you know, God has blessed my marriage. We've been married for 22 years. Now, we, did, we survived the early stages of marriage, right? The first year, it's really hard. You're trying to figure everything out, figure each other out. You have more bills than you have money. You still, your kids, you, you, don't, know what a, you don't know what you want to be when you grow up yet, and, you're, and you have all this responsibility. And then, you know, God blessed us with a, a beautiful daughter. And, you know, one of the things that I'm very, very proud of about Kendrick, other than the fact that she survived teenage pregnancy, obviously very proud about that. But other than that fact... You know, as a 20-year-old, as a young lady who's now a sophomore in college, she is beginning to live out her own faith and develop her own faith story. And she is so compassionate, has such a compassionate heart for other people, and has a real desire to see other people follow Jesus. And as a parent, man, you can't, you can't hope for more than that, right? And she's doing all the things that you want to see your kid do when they go off to college. And so uh, hopefully we're helping your kids do that if you got 11th graders and, or if you had seniors last year, that was the group that we worked with. And hopefully we're preparing them for that, to, to be able to live out their own faith story when they get to college. And, and she's been a great example of that. And I don't get to brag on her very much in public. And since she's here today, I get to do that. So proud of you, baby. I love you. My wife is a cancer survivor. Another miraculous thing that God did in our life. She survived ovarian cancer. was diagnosed back in 2002. So she's 15 years uh, cancer-free and still living strong. And uh, I have as much likelihood to get cancer for the first time as she does to have a recurrence now. And so I'm very thankful for that. And so God has really done some things in our life, you know, since I had that tingling in my heart and since I allowed the Holy Spirit into my life. God has really worked in my life in miraculous ways. And I've kind of given you just the Reader's Digest version of kind of my faith story. And if we were to ever have lunch or if you were to ever come over to my house for dinner, I could give you more details and fill in more of the gaps and in ways that God has really blessed my life. You know, and my family shares part of my story, right? But it's, it's my story. And no one can tell it as effectively as me because it's mine, right? I'm the only one that can kind of, I have those components. I'm the only one that felt that sensation in my heart and knows what that was like and kind of knows why God did that for me. So that's, those things are my story. And telling my story allows me to tell his story. And kind of our, if you wanted to condense this sermon into one sentence today, if you're taking notes or if you want to write this down, this is the one thing that I hope that you leave here today with is one of the best ways to tell his story is to tell your story. And story, stories are important, right? Stories are everywhere. You can't open social media without seeing stories, right? If you're on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, all of that, they all have a story feature, right? So you can share pictures and kind of share your day or your week or whatever through pictures with your friends. 
Uh, some of our favorite stories are on television. You know, right now, a couple of mine are, and I'm not ashamed or embarrassed to admit this, but I watch This Is Us, and I cry every episode, and I get mad, and I tell myself I'm not going to watch the next one, and then I can't wait for it to get here, and as soon as I see it on the DVR, I watch it again, and then I cry again, and then I get mad, and I'm not going to ever watch it again, so it takes me on this, but it's, it's such a great story because it's us. It's us. I mean, that's a great name for it, too, because you can connect with it so well. I also like The Walking Dead, complete opposite from This Is Us. You know, you got zombies and a lot of blood and violence. And then uh, Netflix has stories all over Netflix, right? I, so I'll, I kind of, I'm about to finish Narcos. If you haven't watched that, I'm not going to say you should watch it because there's a lot of language and a lot of violence in it. So, but there's a show on Netflix called Narcos that you might want to check out. Hollywood makes billions of dollars every year selling stories, Right? How many of you guys have been to the movies this year? Paid your 10 or 12 bucks once or twice or a billion times, however many you go. But Hollywood makes a billion dollars a year, more than billions and billions of dollars every year selling their stories because we hope that when we go to the movies, that's going to be our next favorite movie, right? That's why we go. So stories are everywhere, and we seem to have this hunger for stories that doesn't get satisfied, right? It's almost like a story is a commodity that... that the, de the demand for that commodity doesn't get exhausted or doesn't get satisfied. And stories, you know, a lot of times they do more than entertain. If, you know, if you want to try to help someone understand or identify with a, a complex situation, a lot of times you'll condense it into a short little story to help them understand because what our brain does is it takes that story and we kind of have this clicking experience, right, where, oh, yeah, that's what you mean by that. That's how you explain that complex situation. The people that practice telling stories become, and become good at it can create faster, stronger connections with those people around them. And the power of stories, the power that stories have on the brain is uh, beginning to be understood by businesses. Uh, a recent article, and this is probably a few years ago now, but a recent article in the Harvard Business Review uh, spoke of stories as the future of marketing. Keith Quisenberry, he was a lecturer at John Hopkins Center for Leadership Education, he spent a season studying the effectiveness of over 100 Super Bowl commercials, of all things. And he successfully predicted the commercials that told the clearest story. And he said that those would be the, the stories or the commercials that would most likely go viral and be shared by everyone else. And he was right. And most of you will probably remember this. If you watch the Super Bowl, you remember some of your favorite commercials. Well, a few years ago, there was a Budweiser commercial uh, with a puppy Everybody knows that one already, right? You know the one I'm talking about. The puppy kind of made friends with the horse, right? That was such an effective commercial. It was a 30-second spot that really was a movie plot condensed into a beer ad. But it was so effective, it got more traction than all of the ads featuring scantily clad women or the humorous pranks and the silly jokes that were in some of the commercials. And uh, Quisenberry says that people think it's all about sex or humor or animals, but what we found is that the underbelly of a great commercial is whether it tells a story or not. And he goes on to say, the more complete a story that marketers tell in their commercials, the higher it performs in the rating polls, the more people like it, want to view it, and are willing to share it. So stories are terrific tools for communication. And thankfully, stories are something that we can learn to do. Even if you don't think you're good at telling stories, you can learn to do it. 
uh, you know, and like I said earlier, uh, somebody who practices it and is good at it can captivate an audience of thousands of people. You've probably been in auditoriums where there's thousands of people, and somebody got up on the stage and just really, you were just dialed in, and you paid attention the whole time. You never looked at your phone, never looked at your watch, and were just really captivated by the, by the speaker. And it's, it's almost like you're sitting around a campfire, and it's just you and him or you and a couple friends, right? Even though there may be thousands of people in the room. So the, the, you know, the tell the story emphasis or campaign that we're in the middle of right now is designed to make it easy for you to share Christ with those in your home and beyond through telling your story of faith and his story of love through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I like the idea of telling stories better than the word evangelism. And if you're like me, the word evangelism kind of is scary and intimidating, but I guarantee you, every single person in this room, you tell stories every day, whether you realize it or not. So again, one of the, one of the best ways to tell his story is to tell your story. I'm going to look at a couple of passages of Scripture just real quick that will kind of give us a hint on maybe when and who we should tell our story to. So the first passage, if you want to join me, is going to be Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So a couple things I I just want to point out about this passage. One is this exchange between Jesus and the disciples probably occurred about halfway through his ministry. So he had spent some time with these guys, right? He had spent about a year and a half or so with his disciples before he said, who do people say that I am and who do you say that I am, right? So Jesus had spent time hanging out with these guys, eating with these guys, traveling with these guys, developing relationships, building bonds of trust and so forth. This was not a cold call. This was not Jesus knocking on some random door going, hey, who do you think that I am, right? He had developed a relationship with these guys. So that's the first thing. And then this, the second thing that I just think is kind of interesting, and I don't, I don't have any theological basis for what I'm about to say, but I just think it's something worth thinking about, is at the end of the passage, why do you think Jesus charged them to not tell anyone else that he was the Christ? And there, there probably is a theological answer for that, but could one of the reasons be, though, that Jesus knew that his story was incomplete and that it was still unfolding and that the disciples weren't quite ready yet to tell their story? because their story was going to be based on his story, and his story was unfinished. So Jesus charged them not to tell anybody. The thing I want us to take away from this mainly is that you can share your story with anyone, but I think it's more effective when you share it with people that you have a relationship with. So the second passage I want to look at real quick is 1 Peter 3.15. And I think this, this passage or this verse uh, indicates that it is our responsibility to to practice and be prepared to tell our story. And just real simply, the verse says, but in your hearts, 
Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I like the message translation of this verse, or the paraphrase. It says, be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're, why you're living the way you are, and always with the utmost courtesy. So not only does this verse kind of command us to be prepared to share our story, to tell our story, but it seems to imply that we will share our story with people that we have relationships with. And the reason I kind of think that is because not very often is a complete stranger going to walk up to you and say, hey, Matt, can you share your faith story with me? I'm sure you have one. I just assume everybody's a Christian, right? No, not a, a complete stranger is not going to do that. So it seems to tell us not only are we commanded to be prepared to tell our story, but it seems to imply that we're going to share our story with people that we have relationships with, whether it's a friend, a coworker, a spouse, family member, a neighbor, whatever. It's going to be somebody that you've worked hard to develop a relationship with. And again, I think that's because one of the best ways to tell his story is to be willing to tell yours. So here's the great thing about all of this, is that you have a story. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a great story, that, a great story that needs to be told. And the good news is, is that sharing your testimony can and should be kind of a casual and authentic way to introduce other people to Jesus. It's not this high-pressure, intimidating thing that we should avoid, right? Because it's people that you know and love and trust, people that you live with, people that you work with or live around. You know, it's those people are the ones that you're kind of commanded or, or directed to tell your story to. So what do we do with all this? So here, here's kind of the couple of points that I'll just as application today. And if you got the, uh, if you got one of these tell the story little kits or envelopes, I think a lot of this is in there. There's a tell your story card in that kit. So the, the kind of the first step is to prepare your story, right? So go through this tell your story card and there's four simple questions for you to answer. And that, those will kind of be the components of your faith story. The first question is, what was your life like before a relationship with Jesus? Answer, write that question out or answer it, and that's the first part of you telling your story. The next question, how did you realize your need for Jesus? For me, even as, as a 10-year-old, I, I somehow understood that sin was wrong, sin was bad, and that I did not have a relationship with Jesus, but I needed that, right? When, and the third question, when and how did you make a decision for Jesus to be the Savior and Lord of your life? Well, mine was in fifth grade on my knees in my bedroom, and I had that tingling sensation in my heart. Fourth question, what difference has Jesus made in your life since you placed your faith in him? And I shared some of those with y'all earlier. So the first step or the first application in, in being ready to tell your story is to prepare your story. You have to know what your story is before you can share it with someone else, and working through these four questions can help you do that. Uh, the second piece of the application is to practice it. Once you've answered these four questions, ask your spouse, ask your kids, ask your coworker, ask your neighbor, can, hey, can I share this with you? And practice it over and over again so that you kind of get it down. I've told my story about my mom sharing with, from the family Bible. I've probably told that a hundred times in my lifetime. So it just kind of becomes second day. And, and it, the great thing about this is this doesn't have to be a 15 or 30 minute sermon. It can be 90 seconds, two minutes. I mean, it should be quick and easy for you to just, and it, what it does is it allows the person you're talking to to become curious. 
you know, because you're kind of seasoning that conversation with salt, right? And they become curious, and they maybe start asking more questions, and it gives you further opportunity. Uh, so prepare your story. Practice your story. I'm totally going old school Baptist on you all right now. I just realized that. All these, this alliteration of P's, right? Prepare. Practice. The next one is pray. I didn't even realize I was doing that till this now. I think this is actually in the kit, so I kind of stole it from someone, excuse me, someone else. Begin to pray. Pray for those that you want to share your story with, whether it be a neighbor or a coworker or whatever. I think also in your uh, kit, there's some uh, cards, impact cards or something. And on the, on the back of those cards, there's a place for you to write three names. Start with three people that you want to tell your story to. Write those names on that card and begin to pray that God would give you an opportunity to tell your story to those three people. So prepare, practice, pray, and then the third one is proclaim. Go tell your story. You know, once you've written it out and once you've practiced it a few times and you've prayed for someone to share it to, guess what? God's going to give you somebody to share it to because he wants you to tell your story because he wants you to tell his story because one of the best ways to tell his story is to tell your story. Now, can you imagine the impact that we could have in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces if we were simply willing to share our faith stories and the story of his love through the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, there's a, there's a passage of scripture at the very end of the gospel of John that says, uh, now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I'm going to paraphrase that verse using story as kind of the thing. You know, if, if we begin telling our stories of faith and what Jesus has done for us and those around us, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. I know for a fact that this church building and our parking lot couldn't contain the people that would start coming every week if we would just be willing to start sharing our story. One of the best ways for you to tell his story is for you to tell your story.